0: to Bloke Coaching. Join me on the journey to understand male privilege across industries and society within processes, policies, rituals, and mindsets, and how this is holding us back from achieving true gender equality. In this episode, we're discussing leadership, learning, and development. And joining me to have this discussion is Dominic Powery. Dominique is the Managing Director of DDI Australia. She started her career at DDI as a Leadership Development Consultant, working as an Executive Coach as well as a Facilitator, before moving into Business Development where she managed key client accounts which included top 100 ASX listed companies. Dominique is passionate about empowering leaders in the face of complexity they experience every day. And she also heads up the Women in Leadership Practice at DDI Australia, where she collaborates with organisations and industry associations to design and deliver keynote speeches, conference presentations and workshops with the aim of uplifting and supporting the success of female leaders and their sponsors.
1: Welcome, Dom. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me.
0: So we're talking about leadership in this episode. Now, Drawing from quite extensive research that DDI has done on this particular topic, what are some of the qualities that organisations should be looking for in their leaders?
1: That is the perennial question, Ian, and if we had the exact answer to that, I think all the problems of the world would be solved. The answer to that is, well, it depends, and it really depends on the context in which we are considering leadership. Mm -hmm. And so we do have an opinion on it and we have a lot of research on it and we can share lots of characteristics or qualities with you. And in fact, I will. But the context question really is important. If you think about the question of what makes a great leader, another similar question is, well, what makes a great guitarist or what makes a great artist? Well, it depends. Do you like modern art? Do you like the impressionists? Do you like jazz? Do you like rock? And therefore, what kind of guitarist or artist would you be looking for? The same thing applies to leadership. What kind of context is your operation working in? And therefore, what do you require of your leaders? We certainly know that when an organisation is considering leadership, what they're actually considering is do i have the leaders and leadership qualities that will allow us to achieve our strategic and cultural priorities and we build success profiles around that we help organizations think about what are the critical leadership capabilities your leaders will need to help you achieve your north star what are the characteristics that will predispose people to enjoy that sort of work that leads you to achieving your strategic and cultural objectives? What are the critical knowledge and experiences that leaders need to have? Now, when we do that work, it does vary, of course, because all organisations are unique and contexts are unique, but we do typically see things appearing and certainly characteristics and qualities appearing at the moment, which are pretty consistent. So we're seeing things like authenticity, leadership authenticity, A leader's ability to be truly empathic, to empathise, to have empathy. Uh, A leader who is able to cope with ambiguity and uncertainty and have a lot of confidence in their own leadership capability. And we're also uh, looking for leaders uh, who have that drive, that results orientation uh, to get work done through their people, their teams and the constraints or challenges of of their context. But I'd definitely say you would typically expect to find authenticity, empathy, a results orientation and drive appearing as characteristics that are perennial. Hmm.
0: So those characteristics that you described there, are they emerging recently through recent contexts or have they been present in research that's been conducted over a number
1: of years? They are what I would refer to as perennial characteristics. They have been there through eons and time. But I think the emphasis is even more important now. And we've seen the impact of COVID. A pandemic has really put the spotlight on the challenge of leadership in that the research shows us that organisations that have leaders who are authentic, who genuinely care about their people, who have the ability to demonstrate and deploy empathy, are more likely to be checking in on their teams, their people's well-being, uh, making sure that they've got really great lines of sight uh, to their people and their people to them, to their teams, to their business. They're always important, but there's been a greater emphasis placed on that because the implications of not being on an authentic leader and not having empathy during these times has had consequences for team performance and team well-being.
0: So what I'm hearing there is that we kind of knew that this is what makes for great leadership, but it's the recent context that's really exposed those leaders that have those characteristics and those that probably have a bit of a development gap uh, to improve. Would that be a correct takeaway?
1: It is. It is a correct takeaway. And when we think about a success profile for a leader, and we're thinking about the four quadrants that make up that success, capabilities and characteristics, we do work very carefully to differentiate. So characteristics like being an authentic leader, characteristics like being an empathetic leader. When we think of characteristics, we think of those as being innate to who you are as a human being, innate to uh, your preferred style of leading it doesn't necessarily mean even if you are predisposed to being authentic or having empathy that you will be authentic or demonstrate empathy. It means you're predisposed to it. (laughs) Um, And the good news is some of the characteristics that I've mentioned and that people seek can be developed. So authenticity and empathy can. So to your point in, yes, what the current context has done is emphasised that these are really important characteristics what this time has emphasized is we need to see leaders demonstrating the behaviors as well as having the predisposition to it and some of our leaders have a natural predisposition and have learned those behaviors and some don't have a natural predisposition but are learning them either way you need to learn authenticity and empathy in order to be effective during times of crisis like these because we have seen where organisations have leaders who are demonstrating these characteristics and behaviours, they are far more likely to have uh, more engaged team members. They're likely to retain their team members. Um, They're likely to get uh, team members who are prepared to go above and beyond and provide the, the differential outputs than those who don't.
0: Okay. So if that's what we're looking for, And you've explained a bit of a process that organisations should go through in terms of identifying the types of leaders that they want. How should they measure someone's leadership potential?
1: Ah, well, that's another great question and uh, one that we like to get a little more clear on. When an organisation looks at its leader pool or its talent pool, what we uh, help organisations do is think about their leaders in terms of having potential potential their leaders in terms of their actual performance, and their leaders in terms of their readiness. And they are three distinct things. So if I go to your question around uh, how will we know if our leaders have potential? Well, again, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends on potential for what. Yeah. And uh, let's assume we've got the success profile. We know uh, we need leaders who have the potential to complete this success profile. Then what we're actually looking at when we're looking at potential is, do leaders have sustained performance plus leadership potential factors? We're looking at whether they have a personal development orientation. Are they receptive to feedback? Super important that they're they're going to listen and learn uh, from those around them. Do they have learning agility? Other potential factors include a leader's ability to balance values and results. So you would be looking for their demonstration of passion for results. Are they fit with your organisation culture? And you'd also be looking at a leader's ability to master complexity. Are they adaptable? Have they got good conceptual thinking capability? Do they navigate ambiguity well? So to go back to your question around how do organisations assess potential, often uh, organisations look at the people in their team who have a performance track record. Those people are then looked at in terms of their potential to do more, and that's why you need to be very clear around performance is different to potential.
0: Thanks for that information there, Dom. Uh, you've outlined uh, a very solid Robust process for organizations to work through in order to identify talent within the organization as well as manage leadership effectiveness. What we talk about in this particular podcast is gender inequality. And where I want to take the conversation now is to think about what results are showing. And if I bring in some stats from Regia, we know that women make up about 51% of the workforce. Yet, interestingly, Less than a third of key management positions are made up by women. Look at CEO positions in particular, and it's less than 20% are held by women. How do you feel about those stats?
1: Well, um, pretty depressed actually. <laughs> Because the glacial pace of change means that the next generation of women and the next generation after that, which includes my daughter, are unlikely to have equal access to opportunities in their chosen careers. But I am also optimistic because I do see organisations gearing up their efforts around understanding diversity, equity, inclusion understanding the implications on that for their business success and for their cultures uh, that they wish to establish. And I do see organisations doing some really good things. So it's it's a little bit yin and yang. But how do I feel overall about the current state of the nation? Not great. Mm. Optimistic that things will change? Yes. Hopeful that they will change faster? Yes, please.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what we're trying to achieve here is to get change happening quicker So, what are some of the learnings? What are some of the things that you've observed Mm. organizations do or not do that may be contributing to that depressing outcome (laughs) you mentioned?
1: So, um, really great question, Ian. One of the things I'm really conscious we need to talk about is that it's not just binary men and women. In truly diverse, equitable, and inclusive cultures, we consider that gender takes many forms. And whilst our research currently uh, looks at the state of employment for men and women, we are seeing increasingly through our research and participation in our research that we'll be able to present broader and better data sets that include other gender identifications. But in the case, to answer your question, why are we seeing the inequality between men and women in various roles in the leadership pipeline the first place organisations need to look is their talent pools. So a talent pool is where an organisation looks at a group of employees and decides to invest differentially in that group. So they'll invest time and resources in helping that group of employees accelerate their careers. So you really need to look and see what that portfolio of talent looks like. Is it diverse? Is it equitable? Is it inclusive? Because if it has more males in it, then it will definitely uh, favour more males being accelerated through the efforts of the organisation. So I think talent pools is the first place to go and audit uh, whether or not you have true diversity, equity and inclusion in those pools. Just
0: picking up on something that you mentioned a couple of times when you were describing processes that organisations go through was the phrase, it depends. Mm -hmm. It depends on what the organisation is looking to achieve. Hearing that, I can see that there's potentially an unconscious temptation for people like myself, white men, to perceive that the type of leader that they need in an organisation is another white male. And that we almost get deceived by certain traits and qualities that are being demonstrated by white men that can make us think that they're better leaders than they actually are. What are your thoughts on that?
1: We have an affinity bias for those who look like us, sound like us, talk like us, educated like us, work like us, live like us. It's a a natural bias. That's where something like assistics that we need to see demonstrated. What are the sorts of knowledge and experience profiles that we need to seek in order to get the right team member, employee or leader into a role? And then, of course, there are all the systems that, form part of the selection of that employee. Everything from how uh, job descriptions are written to how interview questions are written to how interview selection panels are chosen or interview uh, selection criteria are established really your whole talent management practices do need to be audited to eliminate bias. But bias will always be there. Uh, So our job as leaders and our job as organisations is to keep looking at our systems and eliminating the bias and the barriers for women and for anyone uh, in your diverse organisation pool to accelerate and thrive.
0: I think that's a really important point to make there around our systems are never going to be as objective as we would love them to be recognising that bias is always going to exist. Prejudice is probably a better name for it when it comes to um, how we make judgments about people in leadership roles. And so what I'm hearing as the key takeout there is we almost need to accept that it's going to be there in the system and build in processes, build in steps that check for that along the way. Would that be a fair take away from what you're sharing there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we've worked with organisations that have consciously set out to change the diversity of their employee pools and to focus on gender equity. And when organisations bring that into conscious focus, a lot of really cool things are available to them, signing up as male champions of change. Uh, bringing in the advice that you need or the expertise that you need to audit your whole talent systems, Uh, putting key measures and metrics in place that measure your performance against your stated goals. And when organisations do that, you do see change happen. You do see those stats were sharing earlier, you know, 25% of um, middle management positions represented by women, I think that's what you said, become 40% or, or 50%. And so when you bring it into conscious focus, you can actually accelerate change very effectively. And it's
0: very interesting and uh, encouraging to hear that you're able to accelerate change in that way because there are a few organisations that fall into the trap of the only way in which we're going to improve our stats is to impose quotas, you know, that will drive the outcome. Now, I've talked with um, some previous guests around the benefits of some of those quotas but it's really nice to hear from you that if you just address the, the challenges of the system, you'll see those results. You'll see those measures shift.
1: That's exactly right. And I've yet to encounter an organisation that says, yay, quotas. It yeah. <laughs> does. Um, but most organisations that we work with that have diversity, equity and inclusion on their strategic and cultural agendas are making change. Because there is a raft of activity that can be undertaken through an organisation to audit the barriers that prevent any part of your uh, employee group, but particularly women, from progressing, from having great career success in your organisation, simply by bringing it to focus. But what I I would say is it has to be top-down driven and bottom-up. It has to have champions and it has to have male champions. Uh, We do see that organisations that have male champions, male allies supporting the organization's strategic and cultural objectives accelerate and drive outcomes faster and to a greater degree than those that don't.
0: So male execs, take note. You've got a very important role to play in, in making change happen in this area.
1: Yeah, Ian, I, I can offer your, your listeners uh, three very practical roles that they play. So at DDI, we run a program which we initially, when we designed it, uh, called it Men as Allies, but we have now extended that and we now call this program Executives as Allies. The reason we've done that is anyone in any leadership position can support the diversity, equity and inclusion agenda. But the reason we think about men having a particularly important role to play is because of the predominance of men in leadership roles in most organisations today. And there are three roles you might want to consider playing in your capacity. So the first is being an ally to women. And allyship is about allowing women to have a voice, to uh, make sure that women are represented and to support women in their endeavors and to educate women in their endeavors, but also men, the men in your team. The next is to consider being a mentor. And we know through all our research around how people like to grow and develop and what are the development initiatives that actually accelerate develop. Coaching and mentoring are two of the most powerful enablers of development and mentoring particularly so. Access to mentoring has a huge impact on career acceleration. And again, women mentoring women, men mentoring women, you'd get different results because of where men and women typically operate in organisation structures. So definitely consider if you have an opportunity to be a mentor. But the most powerful role that men can play in advancing the gender equality and change agenda is to be a sponsor. A sponsorship is actually about advocating for women when they're not in the room, making sure that you are promoting the uh, advantages of selecting a woman into a position when the voices in the room are suggesting that the other candidate who looks a little bit like us and feels a lot more comfortable to us, uh, in fact, might not be the right candidate. So sponsorship is a really, really big factor in um, helping women progress their careers in organisations.
0: Thank you for those practical suggestions. And in particular, unpacking that idea of sponsorship. Sponsorship isn't just giving the thumbs up to initiatives that you see and, you know, giving your a stamp of approval to let other people do all the hard work. It is, as you mentioned, where you find yourself presented with an opportunity to advocate or voice a voice which is not represented in that particular situation, that's where you can really help to drive some of that change.
1: So it's a really good point. And I heard a lovely story um, shared the other day where this uh, executive had done a presentation to a room full of people. Uh, the presentation finished, the room was sort of dissembling, and uh, a young uh, female graduate approached the presenter and had some something to add or contribute to that uh, conversation that just taken place. And the the presenter said, look, I don't have time to discuss that now, but let's uh, put some time in my diary and I'd be keen to hear your ideas. They had a coffee. The graduate shared her ideas. Anyway, many, many months later, when a task force was being pulled together for some important piece of high profile work in that organisation, that presenter was able to recommend the young female graduate as a member of the task force. And this person is of influence and has an opportunity to bring this female graduate into a task force, which will not only expose her to others in the organisation, provide her with great experience, add great value to the task force with a different perspective. But that's real sponsorship. That's actually helping create pathways for people, opportunities for people in their organisation.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really encouraging story, Dom. Thanks for sharing that. And I'll extend the invitation that we should be looking looking out for those opportunities to connect with those people that may not feel that they can express those ideas, may not feel that they can do that in uh, the kind of forums that are available to them, and actually building those connections, building those networks. As you mentioned, it's not just with women execs that uh, senior execs should be doing that, but it's also the other genders that are often not represented as part of this conversation, reaching out to representatives of those communities, those genders, um, in order to make sure that they're represented as well.
1: Ian, you're spot on. And in fact, just as you were talking, I was thinking that task force should probably have been audited anyway. to make sure it had diverse representation. Mm-hmm. And that young female graduate, the bias in that story is that they had the confidence to present themselves, but what about those who don't have the confidence to present themselves? So, yes, you're absolutely right. It's it's incumbent on all of us as leaders, and it's particularly incumbent on male leaders to be thinking about where am I going to get diversity, cognitive diversity, that will really not only um, be fantastic uh, to leverage for my task force, but also for my organisation. And therefore, back to that original question that you raised, Ian, was how do you identify potential? We well, start looking for the factors of leadership promise, development orientation, results that people have achieved, and people's ability to master complexity. And you find that across your whole organisation when you look for it.
0: So... What I'm deducing from that kind of conversation is we shouldn't be waiting for talent to knock on our door and tell us they're talented. We should be actively looking for it and uh, and looking at those people that might not come knocking on our door because there could be a lot of untapped
1: potential right there. Absolutely. And I can't quote a stat that tells us how many of the population are extrovert and introvert, but it is likely 50-50, if not 49-51. So you're missing half the population if you're not tapping into your introverts as well.
0: Yeah. Well, you've shared some really great perspectives there, Dom, and thank you for those practical tips as well that we can take away. It's been really my pleasure and privilege being able to speak with you on this topic. So thank you for your time.
1: Thanks, Ian. really love your podcast, Blokes Coaching. It's uh, it's really good work. And uh, thank you to you and your listeners. It's uh, very important and really appreciate you doing this.
0: Thanks for joining us on this journey. Be sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you can catch all the episodes. And share this podcast with your colleagues, your friends, and in particular, the men in your life so that we can get more men in the driver's seats for gender equality. To find out more about the Bloke Coaching Program and how we could work with your organisation, head to our website, blokecoaching.com.